Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Most any business is going to be hard. Nothing comes easy. That's why it's work. So if you don't wake up excited, motivated, passionate about what it is that you're going to be doing, then you're never going to succeed or you're not going to really enjoy it. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Billy Rose, how you doing, Billy? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Billy. He is the founder and president of The Agency and Agency Created, which is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage lifestyle company. He's been named the number 10 real estate agent in the U.S. by Wall Street Journal and sales of over $197 million in 2015. Agency Creates is a standalone creative PR agency that services more than $4 billion in luxury real estate brands. 
So with that being said, Bill, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Sure. I'm actually an ex-entertainment industry. I I was an entertainment lawyer for 10 years. I was a United Talent Agency, UTA for another five years. Got into design and development kind of just because I had a passion for it. Started inspecting some homes, had some success there and decided to just get into the real estate industry exclusively. Quit being a talent agent. And while I was in that space, designing and developing, I saw that there was really sort of a need, a niche within the brokerage industry, which I felt was broken and got in, had some early success. A lot of people who were in the entertainment industry had seen a lot of the environments in which I had hosted events, parties, things I had designed or or sold. And they said, if you can find something for me, you can represent me. And things took off quickly, cut to about 11 years later. And Mauricio and I started the agency and was with that understanding, that observation that the industry was broken, that we wanted to kind of shake things up, be innovative, be a disruptor and do things differently. What was broken about it and what did you do to solve it? Well, I worked at large law firms and large talent agencies and they were integrated organizations. And when I got into the real estate industry, it seemed quite anachronistic, quite counterintuitive that a brokerage would say to its agents, okay, go brand yourself, go be this other entity, which appears to be in competition with us. So that to me was very odd. And I looked back at the history and it becomes more understandable now because you had this situation where agents rebelled against the brokerages sometime in the eighties and said, Hey, you know, these are my clients. I'm doing this work, this 50, 50 split. This is just not working. Mm-hmm. And the broker just said, fine, we'll give you a higher split, whether it went to 80 or what. And in return, you're now going to pay for all the marketing and the advertising. And I have this vision in my mind's eye of that first coal banker, Sotheby's, whatever agent who was making their ad and it was all together. And they went, okay, I'm ready to place my first ad that I'm paying for. And <laughs> thought it looks just like every other coal banker ad I ever place and I'm paying for it. So where's the value to me? And that's where this shift towards personal branding eventuated. And what I found from that was that one, by creating these different personas, these entities, which are now in competition with the umbrella brand, we're diminishing the value of the umbrella brand. It's no longer a credit enhancer. It's no longer bringing you this cachet and it's fragmenting the brand because now everyone's in competition with each other at the brokerage Mm -hmm. and it's encouraging everyone to keep their information, their knowledge, their resources, the database, their spheres of influence to themselves so they can have that competitive edge over other people at their brokerage. I had moved from one brokerage to another. Nobody knew that Rosen Chang wasn't a brokerage. That was my brand that I was at these other brokerages. They just thought they were dealing with Rosen Chang. And to me, when you look at successful, mature industries and whether it's law or accounting or talent agencies, I would never, while being at my law firm, be Billy at Rose Law. You would have to be Billy at Manat or you have to be Billy at UTA. It would never be Billy at Rose Talent. I mean, it's just so different from the way other industries work. And I felt that if we could create an integrated unified organization where people are all working together toward the same goal and we're all benefiting from each other's successes and we're all trying to help each other so we're having less failures, it's that concept of the rising tide raises all boats. And I believe that's really what's led to a lot of the success that the agencies had in a very short period of time. How do you reward people who are doing exceptionally well versus 
not reward people as much who aren't doing anything and they're just hanging on but rising with the tide because you've got some superstars doing really well? Well, there's a number of ways that we all help one another. There is financial reward that comes. For example, we really want to encourage the free flow of information, particularly with pockets. So, you know, with pockets? Yeah. So those would be off Pocket listings? Lists. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. So if, for example, Blair Chang learns of a pocket listing from an agent at another brokerage, he can post in our CRM, which we call Agency Connect, the existence of that pocket listing. And if somebody else here can transact off of that information, some of the company share with the agent who shared the information, who's not getting paid on it. Mm -hmm. So we want to constantly be encouraging this total sharing of information. You're only as good as your weakest link. So in the same way that we all benefit when Mauricio sells the Playboy Mansion, or I might sell a case study house or whatever it might be, we conversely all are negatively impacted if somebody's doing something in not the best way. Mm. So we all become protectors of the brand from which we all derive a lot of benefit. So if somebody's not doing a great job or they're not understanding the, the real estate purchase agreement or their marketing's not quite as good or their photography's not quite as good, we've got people here will all feel invested to protect what they feel is their own brand, the agency, and help these people all succeed. We don't have a lot of people. We're a boutique. We're not a real estate play where we're trying to get people in the desks to charge desk fees. And it's, it's not, we're not a WeWork. We're a place where if you're carrying the agency flag, you're a representative, you're a reflection of everyone else here. So we really are trying to just bring in best in class. And it's very rare that we bring in people who are not doing business and -hmm. not doing business with integrity and on a professional level. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the stuff that you did previously, but you mentioned case study house. Yeah. What is a case study house? Well, back in the 50s, there was a guy named John Intenza who bought this magazine called Arts and Architecture. And he wanted to use that magazine as a platform to promote what he felt was the next best style of architecture, which we call it now mid-century modernism, but post and beam and, and really that true modern style exemplified through steel, glass, plywood. And what he did was he created this great marketing scheme where he went to, let's say, you know, Bethlehem Steel and said, hey, I want you to donate or give us steel at a lower cost. And I'm going to, in our magazine, promote the usage of your steel in this house. He then went to the cutting edge architects of the time, whether it was Neutra, Eames, Schindler, Koenig. And he said, if you've got a client who wants to have a house built, we will get you product for less or for free, and we will promote the home and you as an architect in the magazine. The homeowner, all they've got to do is allow us to publish the home and have people come through the house for a 30-day period or so to see it, and they will get the benefit of a lower cost. So there were something like 30-something homes that were built case study one, case study two, et cetera, done by incredible architects who are in that pantheon of mid-century modernist architects. And they served as this case study on how you could live this incredible life, how architecture influences life. Mm -hmm. In your bio, it says that your former lawyer, agent to realtor before you attained your license, and you also developed, designed, and sold a number of spec homes. Yep. How come you don't 
develop, design, and do spec combs anymore? Or maybe you do, and I'm not aware of it. Yeah, my focus really with that non-selling time of mine, that non-running of the company time of mine, I love that. To me, specking homes, designing homes, it's so fun. It's so great. It's so rewarding. It's a great creative expression. It can be incredibly financially rewarding. My creative expression now comes through the design in the offices as we continue to expand. I get to godfather a lot of homes where my clients who are developers will rely on me to give them insight on what are people expecting today. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of my success of an agent as an agent and a lot of my success or a lot of our agent success is I came up with this sort of structure in thinking about when you go to sell a house, who's your audience going to be? Who's your consumer? What are they going to want? How are you going to communicate to them and how are you going to reach them? And that kind of really rose out of when I was specking home, you get a home up in the Bird Streets here in LA, and that is known for these extraordinary views, their accessibility to nightlife on the Sunset Strip, and they're kind of the world of the bachelor. What you're going to build there is going to be quite different from what you're going to build, say, in Huntington Palisades or Brentwood Park, which are big land, no view, family neighborhoods. So you need to be mindful of who your client is. So for me, I love that. And I think I'm good at it. But right now, the focus is on building in terms of the agency and the offices where that design expression comes. I do look to go back to that one day. And I hope to do so on a sort of larger scale with a more public component, whether that's a hotel and condos or a restaurant or what. So you're able to flex your creative muscle in similar ways that you were before, but it's just in a different capacity with your current business. Going back to the root of that question, though, why did you change? Because I imagine it's feast or famine from what I've seen. I've never developed before. I've never done ground-up development. But you can make a bunch of money. You can lose a bunch of money. So why did you specifically decide to leave and go do something else? My last spec I brought to the market just really as we were starting the agency. I think my intention at that time was probably to continue doing it. I never really thought of myself other than when I first left the talent agency business and became a designer developer. I never really thought of myself after some period of time thereafter as exclusive to either being an agent or being a developer, because I feel that they're so complementary to one another that you become better at each. You mm -hmm. really have to become a student of the market to be a developer and a designer because you're putting your money where your mouth is. And I think that if you really get to that point where you believe in the market so much that you're willing to put money out to go do that, that you're able to benefit your clients who are buying and selling more so because you understand the market and the rhythms and the values so much more keenly, I feel, because you're really taking a more analytical approach to it. It's almost like it's a commercial venture, like in commercial real estate, where it does tend to be more about, does it pencil out than when you're buying or selling a home, which tends to be more emotional. So I think it allows me to communicate on a more dispassionate level and have them understand on a more dispassionate level what the values are and why a house works for them, for their life, for their family, et cetera. When we got to the point where we'd launched the company, there was so much to do that I had to make a choice. And I think at this time it's, Look, we're in real estate cyclical. When we hit that next cycle, I get more aggressive in buying and specking. Maybe. We'll see. I've got some questions from some best ever listeners. 
it ranges from more high level to incredibly tactical. So we'll just go with one in between. And you touched on it a little bit, so feel free to just reference what you said earlier and elaborate on anywhere you want to elaborate. This is from Janja in Connorsville, Wisconsin. And Janja asks, what are some things I can do to attract people to an open house? There's a number of things you can do. And I think there's fundamentals that we all have to undertake to really be as successful as we can. Social and digital media today are so prevalent and so useful. So create some compelling imagery and narrative with regard to what it is that you're selling. And again, it goes back to thinking about who is your consumer and you've got to create imagery and you've got to create narrative that's going to resonate with that consumer. And then you've got to be able to reach out to them through channels that will connect to them. Certainly Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever your platforms are, your website, don't overlook the neighborhood, knock on the doors, deliver invitations, send them by mail, make sure that everybody in that neighborhood knows that you're going to be there and that you're selling that house. That's a great way to pick up a new client. It's also a great way to potentially pick up a buyer because I think that a lot of neighbors are invested in who's going to be their neighbor. It'd be great to have their friend there. To me, if you don't get people at your open house, it's a waste of your time. Make sure you have the advertising that's going to support it. Get out as many signs as you can. You need to spread the word that you're going to be there so you're going to get people there. And then there's sort of that event mentality, whether if you're in a family neighborhood, I don't know, do you want to have a lemonade stand? Do you want to have a corn dog truck there? Think of clever out-of-the-box ways to get people to attend. I had an open house once. It was on Easter, and I did an Easter egg hunt. We've done wine tasting, whatever that might be something that will attract. To me, those three hours of an open house, they're critical. And I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time. The other thing that you have to keep in mind too is be knowledgeable about the market that is reflective of and comparable to what you're selling. So if this house is not going to work for them, might you know of something else that you can direct them to and maybe take them to? Mm. As I mentioned, some are incredibly tactical. So here's a tactical one. This is from M-E-E-T-H-U, Methu in Warner's Robins, Georgia. And here's a question. I am close to being done with my pre-licensing course. When should I start looking for a broker? I would say start now. It does take time. The thing to me that would be of most interest is where am I going to get the most training? Where is that education going to come? We at the agency are not the best for that. We're not really a new agent agency. Mm -hmm. We don't have a great training program for newbies. There are some companies out there who are great at that. An alternative way would be to find a team that you can get on, somebody who can mentor you. You really got to learn those tools, those tricks, those tips, those everyday things that you wake up and have to do as a real estate agent. This job, while being incredibly lucrative and something you can do in your 70s and 80s, and it's every house you sell, you should be able to sell again, but it's grind. And you have to wake up every day doing all the things that you need to do. It's not that hard, but it does take tenacity, patience, focus, and discipline. And I want to dig into those aspects in the lightning round. Here's a question I ask all the guests in some form or fashion. Based on your experience as an entrepreneur in the real estate industry, plus having success in multiple areas of real estate, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors and entrepreneurs? You know, I think that whatever you're doing, there's a few traits or 
things that you need to do. One is don't undertake anything about which you're not passionate. I think there's so many businesses that people try to go lift off the ground because they think it's a good business and therefore they're going to go do it. And most any business is going to be hard. Nothing comes easy. That's why it's work. So if you don't wake up excited, motivated, passionate about what it is that you're going to be doing, then you're never going to succeed or you're not going to really enjoy it. So I think you need to bring that to it. You also need to be a student of whatever that field is. So when I started as a real estate agent, I saw more properties on the market than any agent out there. We have Caravan, which for us is 11 to 2 on Tuesdays. My record I was 23. I think that's still the record. To go see 23 properties in a three-hour period is kind of extraordinary. And then I would see properties through the week. I would make sure I would go to open house. I would be really studying what was open. And I had a plan as to what houses I was going to see and what orders I was going to see them. And if I got caught up and I wasn't able to get quite as fast, what were my options? I got over to this part. I would be starting on the west side. Again, Caravan starts at 11. I'd be there at 1045. I'd be helping the agent at that first house put in the flags or turning on the lights. And I could see a house or two without time actually having elapsed. Mm -hmm. I think you really need to know the market. And because I knew it so well, people were calling me to help give them pricing advice. So I was seeing stuff earlier than anyone. So I was really a student of the market. And then you really need to be disciplined and focused on what you're doing. So I don't think that you can really have success on a grand scale if you're doing it part-time. You need to commit yourself, you need to focus on it, and you need to hold yourself accountable so that you need to put together a plan for yourself. Am I going to door knock 10 houses a day? Am I going to send out 20 letters? Am I going to have 10 conversations? Create some structure for yourself so you can really hold yourself accountable And that actually ties into what I was going to ask you some follow-ups earlier when you mentioned that you have to do certain things every day as an agent. Any other tactical things that you didn't just mention that you should do as an agent or people should do as an agent that you didn't just list off? I think that you need to make people aware that you're available, that you're open for business. So as a real estate agent, you need to be top of mind. You need to be everywhere all the time. And I think one of the ways to do that is take some of that knowledge that you've gained. You go out on Caravan, you see an amazing house. Well, you may not have a client for it, but that doesn't mean that's the end of that usage of that information. Go And talk to business managers. Hey, I saw this amazing house where I know of this pocket that's not yet available. It's 20 million bucks or it's 2 million bucks, whatever it might be. Do you have a client that would be great for it? Because it's a great house. Whether that's to a business manager, a friend, someone you meet at a bar, that gets people thinking about you in ways they may not have thought about you before. So you may be selling routinely $700,000 or $1.2 million homes and you come across this $10 million home, and you never sold a $10 million home. Mm -hmm. You can get people to shift the way they think about you by talking about a $10 million home and why it's so great, how you got to it early, and how it's a great opportunity. The other thing is, as a realtor, you got to be social. So it's all about engaging and nurturing and broadening your sphere of influence. So it's really about always bringing a positive attitude, being optimistic, and creating an energy that people want to be around because it's a very intimate emotional experience when you're buying or selling a home and people want to feel that you're in control, that you're in command and that you're a pleasure to be around. So I think it's 
really reflect that energy, reflect that positivity, and try to get that to as many people as possible. Hmm. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at BeforeTheMillions.com. That's BeforeTheMillions.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? Delivering Happiness. It was our Bible that's the book that Tony Shea wrote about Zappos and uh, how to not only pursue profits and passion, but also a purpose. And it really led to the way we created our culture. Best ever transaction you've been a part of? We have this proprietary CRM that we've created that allows us to engage with our website. And each agent's contacts go into our CRM. And when one of your contacts is conducting searches and such or or extended work on our website, you get alerted that they might be ready to buy or sell. And I had observed that. I had a client who I'd sold a house to some 10 years ago who was searching in Brentwood Park. It's a family neighborhood. The house I'd sold him 10 years ago was this bachelor pad, panty dropper home, big views up in the bird streets. And he's a big entertainment industry guy. And I thought, why is he looking between 10 and 15 million bucks in Brentwood Park. Oh, I go on Facebook. I see he's gotten married. The gal he's married has two kids who are going to Crossroads. Light bulb Different goes life off circumstance. The, yes. Light bulb goes off in my head. I've got clients who are looking to buy a house just like him. I call him up. Hey, Bob, I've been following you in the trades. You're killing it. As you probably know, inventory is super low in the bird streets. I don't know if you'd ever consider selling dude, I can't believe you're calling me now. I just got married. My wife's got these two kids. I got to find a house in Brentwood Park. If you could help me find a house and if you can help me sell my house, it'd be amazing. Well, I showed my two clients his house, ended up selling it to one of them. So I got two sides on that one and then we found him something in Brentwood Park and I got a side on that. Just paying attention to your client's life circumstances. You mentioned something earlier. If we allow it to set in, it's a very powerful thing. And you said every house you sell, you should be able to sell again. And it makes it much less daunting. I'm not a real estate agent, but if I were, it would make it much less daunting for me to think, oh man, I got to get all this business. Well, wait, one success builds on top of others. So how do you stay in touch with your clients after you sell them a house or sell their house? That goes back to being everywhere all the time and being top of mind. There's a number of things. One is cycle through your contacts, maybe keep a list of your clients, keep a note of when they bought or sold their home, check in with them on some regular basis. We have a weekly newsletter called the agency edit, which goes out to all of our clientele and our 
contacts by email, which was intended to be sort of like the agency curated perspective of luxury lifestyle in the same way that Goop does or Daily Candy, Urban Daddy, Thrillist, whatever it might be, so that we're bringing value to everyone. That's our intention by letting them know, where do you charter a yacht this summer in the Mediterranean? Where should you go see fireworks this 4th of July? What's the most popular place to go trick-or-treating as we're on the day after Halloween? What's the cool new watch or vehicle? So by getting that out in front of them every week, it reminds them that I'm here and that I'm in this business. I think that relationships are the key to this business. And unless you really something up, that house that you sold someone you should be able to resell it for them again and help them find something again, unless you fuck that up in some way. Speaking of that, what's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make is not treat every transaction as a way to fuck it up. So, you know, so often we hear of agents who say, I'm doing this lease and I'm only making 3,400 bucks on it. Well, you're not doing that lease for the money. You're doing it to maintain that relationship and that trust and that intimacy with your client. If you don't treat that transaction just like a $10 million buy, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not helping your client. And that's a huge mistake because you're going to break the chain with that client by not giving them great service. So I think the lesson to learn from that mistake is treat every transaction, treat every client as if they're your primary client because you don't know who they're going to refer you to or who they're going to speak badly about you to if you don't handle that relationship and that transaction with its importance, which it deserves. And you've made that mistake. What's the best ever way you like to give back? The best way to give back? I serve on the board of a nonprofit called Kiss the Ground, which is designed to promote regenerative soil practices. I give financially to organizations. We as an agency give financially and we're super involved with Give Back Homes and Habitat for Humanity, mm -hmm. where we will actually go on site and build a home for a needy family. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about your company? You can go to our website, www.theagencyre.com. I'm Billy Rose. Billy, thank you for being on the show and talking about how there was a broken part of the industry that you identified and then how the business came together so that everyone can benefit within the team. And as you said, a rising tide lifts all boats or something along those lines. Also, the way that you're talking about every house that you sell, you should be able to sell again. And that ties back to being top of mind. One of the things that you all do is that weekly lifestyle focused newsletter where you know your clients, you know what they're interested in. You're not doing a hard sell during that weekly newsletter or in that weekly newsletter, but rather you're just adding value to their life and staying top of mind. And then also the three things that you mentioned that we all should be focused on when pursuing business in real estate or really in general, and that is make sure we're passionate about it, number one, two, be a student of whatever we undertake, and three, be disciplined and focused on what we're doing. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. I enjoyed being here, and I hope your best ever listeners enjoyed it too. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. 
That's beforethemillions.com.